Between the words that are spoken and the words that are heard, may the Spirit of God be present. Amen. Please be seated. Most of you know I spent my Tuesday afternoon celebrating the end of another school year with our Sweet Studies Bible Study group. These third through fifth graders met with me every Tuesday for the entire school year to study the Bible, and it was time for our summer recess. I wanted to end the year with a fun party to show my appreciation for their commitment to Bible study. And we had a great time making beautiful art, enjoying sweet treats, and fellowship with one another. Near the end of our time together, I learned from one of the parents about another mass shooting in our country, this time at an elementary school in Texas. The first thought in my head was, Again, another one? Really? Then as easy as that thought came in, I was able to compartmentalize, to put it away, and finish the party. In one way, I guess I was numb. Only 800 miles west, children had witnessed terror, parents were living in hell, and yet I'm able to just think, Again, another one, as though it is all normal. It was when I got home and I could read the news myself that I began to think these kids were the same age as my sweet studies kids. They should be celebrating summer too. Once more, I found myself saying again and asking now, why? I'm 30 years old, and I've gone to public school nearly my entire life. I was in second grade during Columbine. I cannot remember a time in school when we did not do active shooter drills. I knew to be quiet, to get under my desk or my teacher's, We've been doing these drills for over 20 years. So long that I've gone from doing them as a child to having to do them as an adult educator. My first time teaching during an active shooter drill, a student asked if he could use the restroom. And because I knew the drill was to occur during that class period, I begged him to consider waiting. I didn't want to let him go outside because I knew if I did and the drill happened while he was out of the classroom, I wouldn't be able to let him back in. I was so concerned about this and it was only a drill. I keep finding myself asking the question why repeatedly as I process this. Sometimes that question is directed at America, other times at the latest shooter, and even sometimes it's addressed to God. Early Wednesday morning, I woke up, and my first prayer to God went something like, God, 
what am I to do with the voice and this platform you've given me? I know how I feel, but I do not know what I am to say or what I am to do. You see, last week, I was really glad because George was on the calendar to preach. So he preached in the wake of the Buffalo and California shootings. It was good. He's a bishop. He's experienced. I've only been a priest for six months. I didn't think my time would come so soon. In seminary, they offered a class for trauma-informed preaching. But this week, I really lamented that there was no preaching after a mass casualty class offered. I checked in with my Facebook group called Young Clergy Women International, and the Americans were posting about they were all grappling with the week and our lectionary. I was struck by the honesty of one of the older women in the group who said that she can no longer edit her sermons each time to reflect the shootings or violence that happen because it happened too often. And I thought, wow, what does it mean if our clergy are numb to the violence? Later, I met with a friend and a colleague, and she asked, do you ever wonder if there is a God? The rate of violence and tragedy in our world has pushed her to consider this. And I told her, I know there is a God. And I also admitted that I do wonder at times like this where my God is. It's not a crisis of faith, but it's something that we actually find shared throughout the Bible. In fact, there's a whole section in our psalmody where the speakers, they're literally lamenting their perceived absence of God. We're allowed to lament. We're allowed to feel, to express our anger and our frustration. One colleague in that Facebook group said she wanted to hold not a moment of silence, but a moment of screaming in her worship service. We're allowed to feel and be angry because we must get through those emotions before we can reach or even begin to think about the hope that we know is present. Even those lamenting psalms, they reach a point of hope. Imagine the disciples were angry and lamenting too. Their teacher was leaving them, abandoning them after all they've been through. If you haven't yet realized, we're stuck in that same farewell speech from the last few weeks. The same speech where he's given them the commandment to love, to share grace with each other. The same speech where he's given them the peace which the world cannot give. Now, rather than giving them yet another thing, he switches it up. Jesus talks to his Father in heaven and advocates on their behalf. 
He prays for his disciples and the disciples that are yet to come. He prays for us. Our God prays for us. And his prayer is interesting because he could have asked for anything he wanted. He is God after all. He could have prayed for us to be removed from this world, to keep us from harm and suffering, to keep us from creating assault weapons. Instead, he prays that we may be one with him and each other, just as Christ is one with the Father. It's a prayer that he would always be with us, that we would know him. And when he dies, when he ascends into heaven, when the disciples feel like he has gone up and left them, he hopes that they will stop looking up and start looking out and around for him. He's praying for unity between his disciples. There's a practical reason for this one. The disciples have been arguing fighting over who's the greatest, who gets to sit on the left or the right, you know, all those really important things. So imagine their embarrassment when they realize that they had been bickering over these things and their next day their teacher is murdered. Beyond the practical reason, Jesus is praying for long-term unity one that means working towards union with God. This is literally our Episcopal Church's definition of our mission. It's the one that you find in the back of our prayer book in our catechism. The mission of the church is to restore the unity between God and God's people. Jesus' prayer is twofold, a union with each other that leads us and guides us to union with God. Because when we are all one, we will no longer say, look up, hmm, where's God? Rather, we will start looking around us, looking at the people, and we will see God there. His prayer is a prayer for us to be active, to be God's agents of peace and justice in this world. God could have made us any way that God pleased. And yet, God gave us that free will, a choice to desire God. Jesus is praying that we will choose God. Jesus is praying that we will desire unity. And not just desire it passively from afar, but actively work for it and through it protect the human family. Our latest events in the last week, month, several months, they've told us that we have more work to do. We're not quite there yet. Early in the week, our registrar, Miss Jane, she asked me what was the solution to the gun violence in our world. And I said, I don't know that I have one. I do know, though, it cannot be preparing our kids 
for a shooting at the same frequency we prepare them for tornadoes, as though it's inevitable. We have to do more. We've got to be more proactive, reach the source, to invest maybe in more readily affordable mental health care rather than just grief counselors. It means changing our gun legislation or lobbying to our elected officials. The human family needs to be able to go to school, to teach, to buy milk from the grocery store, commute on the subway, to worship, all without worrying that they might be next. Yes, this may take political action, but it's not political and it's not partisan. It's about the unity Christ calls his disciples to. It's about the unity with God and each other. Much like God's peace, it is a unity not of this world. It's so much bigger than that. It's far bigger than a left or a right. It's a union of love. And love is not partisan. It knows no boundaries. God has given us the tools for unity. It's in our love. But we can't just sit around waiting for someone else to do something. Jesus prayed for us, remember? He prayed that we would do something. The Christian love we share drives us to be active. Whether contacting local officials and sharing our voice, we must love through all our actions. Loving deeply those who are on the margins, supporting, seeking, and reaching out to those who we see need it the most. We need to take care of the human family. We can also actively love through our prayer. The other day, I saw a cartoon floating around of two angels standing at the gates of heaven. One angel said, they keep sending up their thoughts and prayers. And the other said, and their children too. And I know the sentiment is that the empty thoughts and prayers, especially from our leaders, they mean nothing if there aren't actions to follow. And while I definitely agree with this, I mean, it is exactly what Jesus' prayer is about, to do something. I also want to make it clear, we cannot stop praying. If we stop praying, then what is our prayer for? Remember, our psalmists show us our prayers can be ones of lament. And we don't only have to pray for the victims. In fact, every week, at every service, our prayers of the people, we pray for our leaders, for all the people who make decisions. And I hope you pray for them at home, too. They need our prayers. We pray that they are led to right decisions and right actions. And during our prayers, we also pray that we might all be one. 
Jesus' own prayer for us the night before he died tells us we have to act and we have to pray. We must be God's agents of peace and justice in this world. It's critical. It's urgent. I really don't want to have to save this sermon in a file labeled Sermons for the Wake of a Mass Shooting. My brothers and sisters and siblings in Christ, God is here. God is with us in our suffering. Beginning with our love and traveling the streets of grace and peace, together may we have the strength to continue working to reach the oneness and the unity that our Savior Christ desires for us. Amen.